past few weeks, we have been looking at a little mini-series we've called What Matters Most. What Matters Most, because as we look around the world around us, on television, on social media, everywhere we look, billboards, everybody's trying to tell us how to spend our money, how to spend our time, what to eat, what to drink, what to think, who to hang out with, what doctor to go to, you know, all of these different things. Everybody has opinions on how we ought to spend our energy, how we ought to, you know, devote our lives. And so it can be confusing sometimes to really remember what it is that matters most. And so in this series, we're just taking a look at the words of Jesus. We're looking at some of Jesus's teachings as he teaches his followers about what matters most. And we're looking at Jesus's words because we believe as our Lord and Savior, as the one who is able to predict and pull off his own death and resurrection, that what he says matters most really does matter most, and that he can help us sort through all of the different conflicting opinions that that surround us, both in our culture as well as the culture in which he lived. He can just sort of help us clarify what our priorities need to be and where we should be spending our time and our energy and our focus and our money and and to really, you know, help prioritize where our life is. And so, you know, sometimes the teachings of Jesus, uh, they were challenging to the people who first heard them, Uh, the people who heard Jesus, even his disciples sometimes would hear what he had to say and say, wow, that's really difficult. You know, sometimes he would he would teach things that were just challenging and and difficult to hear because they upset the status quo. And uh, sometimes when we hear those teachings, they do the same thing for us as I've been studying the text for this particular teaching. uh, I've been particularly challenged. Um. And, you know, and here's the thing, I'll be honest with you up front, I don't have it all figured out. Uh, you know, Jesus says some of these things, and I look at it, and I say, man, Jesus, that's, that's kind of tough. That's kind of tough. Don't you, don't you understand the world we live in? Don't you know uh, all of the things going on? And so I think this is going to challenge us a little bit today. It might challenge you. It certainly challenged me. If it challenges you, uh, you're not alone, uh, and we'll sort of uh, ask some of these questions together. I'm going to maybe ask some difficult questions in this message, uh, and I'm not necessarily going to wrap them up with some nice, neat answers. I might leave it uh, hanging a little bit as we learn to wrestle with uh, what Jesus says about uh, what matters most in this particular category. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we're going to jump right in there. We're going to see some interaction Jesus has with uh, some, some of his listeners, some of his disciples, as he helps them sort of refocus and, and reshift their priorities to pay attention to the things that really matter uh, in life. And we're going to see Jesus is going to ask some tough questions. He's going to say some things that, um, you know, probably would have come off a little insulting to his original hearers. They may come off a little insulting to us, too. Uh, he's he's going to challenge us in terms of our, our real, our trust in God and our faith. So to set the story, Luke tells us, we're in the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells us that someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Teacher, tell the brother, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In the first century, uh, when Jesus lived, the the concept of inheritance was a pretty big deal. Uh, we sort of understand inheritance today. If, uh, if if a loved one passes on, sometimes we'll get left an inheritance. But it's it's not quite the same today as it was back then. Inheritance back then was a big deal. You know, your your livelihood was wrapped up in your family and. Um, so inheritance, you know, your land was often the source of your livelihood where you would plant crops and raise animals and all of these things. Your, your livelihood was dependent upon your, your land and all of that. And a lot of that was generational. It would be passed from one generation down to the next. And so inheritance was a big deal when it comes to financial security and security for the future. 
Um, and the way that it worked, it, it wasn't so much back in that culture where the inheritance would be split 50-50 among the different inheritance. Usually there was a larger portion that would go to the firstborn son. Uh, subsequent sons would get a smaller portion. If you were a daughter, you were kind of out of luck sometimes. You just had to hope that you would marry well into another family. And so this brother is telling Jesus, hey, tell my brother. He's probably a younger brother is what it seems like based on the culture. Tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. It sounds like his brother had gotten a larger share, if not the entire share. And so this gentleman was rightly concerned about his financial security and his future. And, and he knew that Jesus cared about things like equity and taking care of people. So he's going to Jesus saying, Jesus, you know, I need some help here. My brother's got this inheritance. My financial security is on the line. Tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. Uh, which, you know, we, we can sort of understand it. If your financial security is on the line, this seems like it's a legitimate concern. And so when we look at Jesus' response to this man, we're, we're going to see that Jesus, it seems like at first that Jesus is sort of dismissing him, that he's sort of blowing off the question. But what we're really going to see is that Jesus is helping to, to redirect his focus from something that, that does matter to something that matters even more. And Jesus, he's going to do what he always does. He's going to use this as a, as a platform to launch into a teaching about the things that really matter in life. Things that matter even more than present financial security, even more than uh, livelihood and inheritance. Things that matter eternally uh, in the kingdom of God. So Luke tells us that Jesus replies, and he says, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Which again, you know, we think about that, hold on a second. I mean, we know that Jesus cares about these things. Why why in this case does he seem to be ignoring this particular request? And, and we're going to see it's because he wants to use this to teach them something deeper. Jesus goes on to say, Watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And, and so the language Jesus uses here is the same kind of language that you would use to say, Hey, watch out. Be on your guard against a thief. Right. If if there was uh, if you had heard that there was break ins in your neighborhood, that people's cars or homes had been broken into recently, you know, you might tell your neighbor, hey, watch out, be on your guard against these thieves who are coming through the neighborhood. And that would uh, encourage you to be aware and to be vigilant and to be active in looking out for somebody who was trying to break in and steal things from you. And so Jesus is using the same kind of language, the same kind of active language to say, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, greed isn't a person. Greed isn't a criminal. But Jesus says that we still, in the same way that we would be on guard against some kind of a thief or some kind of a robber who's coming through the neighborhood, that we need to watch out and we need to be on guard against all kinds of greed. And so some of you may be thinking right now, well, wait a second. Why would I need to be on guard against greed? It's not like greed comes at me. Greed isn't a personal force. Greed isn't another person. Why do I need to guard against greed? And the answer is because greed is very, very sneaky. Greed is very, very deceptive. Greed is something that if we're not careful, we can find ourselves sliding into a mentality where we're sort of driven by greed. Uh, greed isn't something that we have to decide to be. It's something that if we don't watch out against it, we'll naturally find ourselves there. We just, within our human nature, based on everything culture around us tells us, based on our sinful nature, we can sort of just sort of slide into being greed and being consumed by greed if we're not careful. So that's why Jesus says, guard. Be on your guard against greed. I want to give you a definition of greed. 
Uh, greed is uh, entitled, feeling entitled for something that you don't need. Feeling entitled to something that you don't need. I'll give you, you know, some silly examples. Um, for instance, uh, when we moved into the house that we live in now, it didn't have a dishwasher. It didn't have a dishwasher. <gasps> I know. No dishwasher, right? We, we had been used, we had been living in a house for a long time that had a dishwasher. We had gotten used to having a dishwasher. And so we move into a house without a dishwasher. And for a minute, I was starting to feel entitled. Like, I, I deserve a dishwasher. You know, I work hard. I, you know, and all this, you know, and then I start to realize, wait a second. I, I don't deserve, I mean, it's nice. There's nothing wrong with a dishwasher. But if I start feeling like I'm entitled to something like a dishwasher, if I start feeling like, I, like I'm entitled to something that I don't need, I, that's, a, that's a clue that, that maybe greed has snuck into my way of thinking. As I start feeling like I'm entitled to certain amenities in life, certain, certain things that I don't really need beyond the scope of, you know, food for my body and clothes for my back and access to you know, a job that will pay enough so that we can survive and have access to health care. If we're asking, if we feel like we're entitled to things beyond what we need, that's a good clue that greed has sort of snuck in. And so Jesus says, be on your guard, because everything around us sort of tells us the opposite. You deserve this, you're entitled to this, you need this, right? How many times do you have commercials or things say, you need to have the latest upgrade, you need to have the latest gizmo, the latest gadget, you need this, you need that. Um, and so when we start thinking that way, when we start thinking that we need things or that we're entitled to things that we don't really need, that's a good clue that maybe greed has snuck up. So Jesus says, set a guard. Set a guard against greed. Be aware of the, the thinking patterns around you and inside of you that tend to get you thinking that you're entitled to things that you don't really need. It's not that things in and of themselves are bad, but when we start Making things the priority, the, the, the gathering of things and the ownership of things, when that becomes more important than other things, it's a good indication that greed is coming. So we want to watch out. We want to set a guard against greed. We want to set up systems so that we know if we're starting to uh, dive into areas of life where we might be driven by different forms of greed. So Jesus says, be on guard. He goes on and tells us why. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In other words, Jesus is saying, you are not defined by what you own. There's more to life than the stuff that you can gather up. There's more to life than, than your bank account or your paycheck or your income or what those things can buy. There's more to life than the gizmos and the gadgets. There's more to life than a nice home and a nice car and, you know, all of the, the niceties of life. There's, there's more to life. Life is more important than that. And most of us understand that, right? We know that there's, there's more to life than what we own. And yet sometimes, because of the culture that we're surrounded by, because we live in such a consumer-driven culture, we, we're always looking for the next thing to buy, the next upgrade. And Jesus just says, you know, be careful. Be on guard. Guard against your thinking because there's more to life than the stuff that you can gather. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. There's more to life. Now, I want to juxtapose this with another uh, saying of Jesus from the Gospel of John. In, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Right? There's that image of a thief again. Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it how? Abundantly. 
So Jesus says he wants us to have an abundant life, right? It's not like Jesus is saying, you know, I, I don't want you to have abundance. I don't want you to, you know, I want you to live in, in scarcity and need. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus wants us to have an, abundance, an abundant life. He came so that we could have life and have it abundantly. So let's put these two verses next to each other. On one hand, Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. On the other hand, he says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Right? So, so how, do we, how do we put these things together? If Jesus wants us to have an abundant life, but life doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions, how do these things go hand in hand? How do these things fit together? And the reason I want to bring this up is because this is a verse that a lot of the American prosperity gospel preachers are going to tell you. That God wants you to have abundance, brother. That God wants you to have a big car and a big house. And if you just sow your seeds of faith, brother, then God's going to open up the, you know, the floodgates and you're going to get all kinds of money and all kinds, you know, and, and usually these prosperity gospels are what, you know, they drive the nice cars, they live in the big houses and they say, well, if you just trust God like I do, then, then you can, you can live like I have and you can have all this nice stuff. And so, you know, Jesus is reminding us, and here, here's the principle, here's the principle. The abundant life has little to do with material abundance. The abundant life has little to do with material abundance. The abundant life that Jesus came to bring, and, and we see this in so many different categories, where Jesus takes what, what the world thinks is one thing, and he flips it on its head and says the kingdom of God is basically the opposite. Whereas everybody, the world thinks that, that life you know, is all about how much you can gather, how much stuff you can, you can accumulate, and that's what abundant life looks like. Jesus says that's not what abundant life looks like at all. I want you to have your needs met, but abundant life is, is more about abundance of peace and abundance of joy and abundance of purpose and abundance of love and abundance of community. All of these things that you can't buy with money. All of these things that you can't go to the store and purchase. These are the things that Jesus wants us to have in abundance. The abundant life has little to do with material abundance. Again, it's not that stuff is bad. It's not that Jesus doesn't want us to have nice things. It's that he doesn't want nice things to have us. He doesn't want our stuff to have us. And so he, he wants us to be on guard against that kind of thinking where we start thinking that, that who we are and our worth and our self-worth is determined by what we can gather and by what we can own. He says, I want you to have an abundant life, but the abundant life I came to bring doesn't necessarily look like the abundant life that the world says is abundant. He says, the abundant life I came to bring is deeper, it's more meaningful, and it's longer lasting so like Jesus usually does, he goes on to illustrate his point with a story. He goes on to tell a parable. A parable is a story with a point to help people understand what he's trying to get at. So he tells them this parable. He says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, Self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat and drink and be merry. Right? What does that sound like? Kind of sounds like early retirement, doesn't it? Right? I mean, he, the, he, he came into a windfall. He was a, he was a shrewd uh, businessman, shrewd farmer, and he comes into early retirement. He says, all right, you know, I've got everything I need. I've got enough to last me for years. I'm just going to take it easy. I'm just going to eat and drink and be merry. Jesus goes on with the story. But God said to him, you fool, 
This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Is that grain going to do him any good when he's gone? Are those barns going to do any good when he's gone? Who's going to enjoy all of that stuff that, that he's gathered up for himself? And so God calls him a fool. God calls him a fool for storing up all this stuff for himself. Um, and then Jesus goes on to say, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So, at least this particular retirement plan, Jesus wasn't too excited about, right? This particular retirement plan where you gather up all of this stuff for yourself so that you're set for years and you're not using that to help anybody else. You're not using that to to further along the kingdom of God. Jesus called somebody who acts that way a fool. That's pretty strong language. So, at least this particular... Now, Jesus isn't saying that you shouldn't store stuff up for yourself necessarily, but he's saying if you're storing your storing stuff up for yourself and you're not rich towards God, at the end of it, it's foolish. It's foolish if we if we just store stuff up for ourselves and we're not rich toward God in the process. So the question that all of us are thinking now at this point is: so what should we do? What should we do? If this isn't what Jesus has to say about wealth and storing things up for ourselves and about what matters most, what should we do? That's a great question. Jesus answers it. He says to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Now the words do not worry, the the translation, it means don't be anxious about. Don't concern yourself with anxious care. Don't spend all of your time and your energy being anxious and worrying about the physical things in life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, you know, where you're going to work. All of these things that we tend to get so worked up about. It, it, it happened back then in the first century and it happens today. We get so worked up about these, these physical things in life. We get so anxious about wondering where the next paycheck's going to come from, where the next meal's going to come from. We start worrying and we're fretting and, and Jesus is going to show us, listen. You don't need to worry about that. You don't need to be so anxious about where everything's going to come from. And the reason he's going to show us in just a minute is because we have a heavenly father who loves us and has promised to take care of us. Jesus goes on to say, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. You know that, right? You are still alive. There's more to your life than than what you had for breakfast, right? You are not defined by what you had for breakfast. I am more than the donut I ate this morning. Right? You are more than whatever you had for breakfast. There's more to life than what you eat. And there's more to your body than your clothes. You still have a body when you're in the shower, right? Right? So there's there's more to your body than your clothes. There's more to your life than what you eat. And then Jesus is gonna he's gonna paint a word picture for them using probably what was right there in the environment. He's he's gonna point at some of the birds. We think he was probably outside when he gave this sermon. There was probably birds flying around. He says, Consider the ravens. He looks up and he points at the birds. He says, consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn or 401k. And yet your heavenly father, God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Jenny taught us about that last week, right? That we are, we are more valuable than many sparrows. We're more valuable than ravens. We are more valuable in God's eyes than the birds. And God takes care of the birds. The implication, if God takes care of the birds, and they're just birds, how much more is he going to take care of us? How much more is he going to provide for us? 
I was just at the beach this last week, and there were all kinds of seagulls and pelicans flying around, and I never saw one of them taking some food to the bank. Not one. You know, I, I never saw a pelican swoop down and pick up a fish and then bring it to the freezer, you know, to save it for later. They just knew. They, you know, they, they went out and they gathered their food and they ate and they knew that there was going to be food for them again the next day because that's the way that God designed life. And, and Jesus is saying, if God does that for the birds, how much more will he do it for you, his children, who bear his image? Jesus goes on, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? The obvious answer is nobody. You can't worry yourself into a longer life. You can worry yourself into a shorter life, uh, but you can't worry yourself into, into a longer life. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Jesus is saying, if you can't worry yourself into a longer life, why are you worrying about anything else? He uses another example. He points at some of the flowers. He says, consider the wildflowers, how they grow. They don't labor, they don't spin, they don't work a nine-to-five clock in and out. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. So Jesus points back to the richest person in Jewish history, King Solomon, who had, who had more wealth than you can imagine, who had access to the greatest fabrics and the greatest dyes and the best tailors and all of the land. And even though he had all of the money and all of the riches and all of the resources, he was not as good looking as the lilies of the field. Right? He, he didn't look anything like... He, he wasn't even as pretty as a flower, even though he had, you know... As much money as Solomon, right? He was as rich as Solomon, because he was. Um, even Solomon, all his splendor, wasn't arrayed like one of these flowers of the field. Jesus says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? And then he sort of insults them, you of little faith. Imagine sitting in Jesus' audience and he says, you of little faith. Are, do you, he's saying, do you really trust God? If God cares for the birds and God cares for the flowers... Why are you so concerned that he's not going to take care of you? You are worth more to God than birds and flowers. Why do you spend so much time worrying about these little things in life? He goes on to say, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Don't be anxious about it. For the pagan world runs after such things. This, is, this would have been an insult, right? This would have been an insult to the people in that audience. Jesus is saying, listen, those pagans out there, are, you look just like them. He's saying, there's no difference between the way that you're going about life and the way that they're going about life. And they don't know that they have a heavenly father that loves them and cares for them. Why are you living in the same way? Why are you living like you don't know that you have a heavenly Father who cares for you? This, this, would, have, this would have been insulting to, to the Jews to be compared with, with the other pagans. It's like, you know, and the same can be said for us. Do we, do we live differently? Do the way, does the way that we live, does the way that we conduct our affairs and business, does it indicate that we're trusting God to provide for us? Or are we just as worried, are we just as concerned and, uh, about all of these small things as people who don't know that they have a loving Heavenly Father who wants to care for them? Jesus reminds them, he says, your Father knows that you need them. God knows that you need to eat and that you need clothes and you need a place to sleep. Your Father, and this is one of the things that's so remarkable about Christianity, that we can refer to God as a Father. You know, there's no other religion quite like that in all of the world where God is 
a loving Heavenly Father. And all the other religions, you have to work to please God in a way that maybe you can turn His wrath or, or maybe you can buy His favor with, with, your, with your gifts and your service. And it's, it's all to, that maybe you can turn this angry God in your favor for a little while. When in, in Christianity, we have a God who calls Himself our loving Heavenly Father. Now, Some of you had great fathers. Fathers who loved you and cared for you and were there for you and provided for you and and taught you. And and if that's the kind of father you have, then that is the kind of father that God is and more and better. Some of you didn't have great fathers. Some of you had fathers who weren't there, who didn't provide, who maybe hurt you. And if that's the kind of father you had, then God is nothing like that. God is the most perfect father you can imagine. A, A father who loves a father who cares, a father who is concerned to meet your needs. Now, I, I've been a father now for 16 months and one day, but who's counting? 16 months and one day. And you know what? Uh, when, I know that, when I know that Madison is hungry, um, I make her uh, do certain acts before I feed her, right? I say that you know, if, she, if, she doesn't, if she doesn't ask me hard enough, I tell her she doesn't get to eat. You know, and I tell her that unless she sacrifices to me, I'm not going to change her diaper. None of you believe that for a second, do you? Why do you think that I'm a better father than God? Right? Why do we, why do we think that any human father is going to provide for their children what they need, and yet we think that God isn't going to provide for us? That's what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is calling God your father, your heavenly father, knows that you have need of these things. So this is what Jesus says to do. Here's how we remedy this. He says, but seek his kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God. And when you do that, Jesus says, all of these things will be given to you as well. In other words, Jesus says, you don't need to worry about gathering together all of these things for yourself and then giving God whatever leftovers you may have. He's saying, you can devote your entire life to serving God, knowing that your loving Heavenly Father will provide for you what you need when you need it. He's saying, you don't need to go running after all of these things that that the rest of the world seeks after. You can seek after the kingdom of God, work for the kingdom of God, and as you do that, you can do that knowing that God is going to provide what you need when you need it. He goes on to say, do not be afraid. And like he always does, Jesus really cuts to the heart of the issue. He knows that our tendency to gather and to store and to hoard and to worry is really based in what? Fear. It's based in fear that there may not be something for tomorrow. It's based in fear that maybe God isn't going to show up for us tomorrow. And God, Jesus is saying, do not be afraid. Your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. God wants to give you the whole kingdom. It's not just about, you know, your food and your clothing. God wants to give you the whole kingdom. Why are you worried about food and clothing and 401ks and, you know, Nikes? Why are you worried about the things that don't matter when your Father is pleased to give you the whole kingdom? We are heirs to the king. God wants us to give God wants to give us the kingdom. Why are we afraid? Why do we gather in hoard and and store as if it's not going to be there as if God is not 
going to show up for us. So Jesus makes it really practical. We don't like it, but he makes it practical. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be our, your heart will be also. Jesus says that where, we, where our treasure is, that's where we can find our heart. So the question becomes, where do we spend our time? Where do we spend our money? Where do we spend our energy? Because that's where we're going to find our heart. It's where, where our treasure is, where we spend the most of who we are, where we spend the most of our money, where we spend the most of our time, where we spend the most of our energy, where we spend the most of our focus, that's where our heart is going to be. And Jesus says, if you invest, here, here's Jesus' retirement plan, okay? This is Jesus' retirement plan. To guard against greed and grow trust in God, give it away and lay up treasure in heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you want to make an investment in your future, instead of putting it in a bank and waiting for, you know, to, to gain an interest that's going to fade away when you pass away, give it away, and then doing so, you're making an investment not just for this life, but for all of eternity, a, a reward for all of eternity, treasure in heaven that, that no stock market crash, that no thief, no robber, uh, no changing of the, of the tides in the world could ever rob you from. If you want to really make an investment for the longest part of your life, which for those of us who have placed our trust in Christ, the longest part of our life is eternity. It's the next life, right? Jesus says if you want to invest, if you want to make a retirement plan, give it away, send it to work for the kingdom of God now, and then for all of eternity you'll be reaping, re- reaping rewards for that investment you make now. In other words, Jesus is saying, you know, you don't need to you don't need to be like the one who stores it up for yourself so that so that it's all there in the future. You just give it away, put it to work in the kingdom, and trust that God is going to take care of you. But, and here's the caveat, and this is I don't want you to think that Thomas says we can't have retirement plans or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. Um, you know, we we invest, and this is something that I'm wrestling with myself. You know, what's the What's the balance in the wisdom between, you know, making sure that, you know, we're not a burden to others later in life and, and all of that and giving it away. So Jesus said, this is what happens to anybody who stores up things for themselves and is not rich towards God. So how do we stay rich toward God in our giving? How do we give God our first and our best of our time and our resources and our money and not just what's left over? How do we remind ourselves to be rich toward God, giving him what's first and what's best? And this individual retirement plan of Jesus would only really work if we caught on to Jesus' vision for community, which was this. Jesus' vision for community was a community in which those who are able to work to support themselves and those who can't. And then when they can't any longer, the community supports them. We see how this worked out in the, in the early years of the church, in the book of Acts. Everybody took what they had, they all sold it, and then they worked to support each other. Those who were able worked, and they supported themselves and their families, and they supported those who couldn't, and then when they couldn't anymore, the younger generation, and it was a cycle. It was, it was a community vision. Unfortunately, in our society, we have moved so far away from this communal vision of living, where we all work to support, to take care of each other, that you know we've just 
we've been too influenced by Western individualism where we're all about storing up for ourselves. So until we can get back to this, the, the Jesus' retirement plan doesn't, doesn't make as much sense. But, but I want you to imagine for a minute what it would really look like. What if Christians really lived this way? What if we really bought into Jesus' vision so much that instead of storing up stuff for ourselves, we just worked to take care of each other in our community? And we said, you know, I've got enough for my family today. Uh, uh, you don't have enough for your family, so I'm going to share with you for today. And then later on in the future, when you're in a different position, I know you're going to do the same thing for me. What if, what if we really believed that? What if we believed that God really was our Heavenly Father and that He would provide for us daily like He provides for the birds and the flowers? You know, in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, right? This is, this, he was trying to get people to really believe that they could trust God on a daily basis. And I wonder if the reason why we don't do that, if the reason that we store up is because on some level we really don't trust that God would provide for us on a daily basis. In the parallel version to this in Matthew's Gospel, uh, Jesus says, uh, don't worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow take care of itself. Sufficient for each day is its own troubles. Right? Jesus is trying to get his followers to live on a day-by-day basis, trusting God every day. Now, we're so far removed from that, and so I'm not, I'm not necessarily telling you that you need to you know, go sell everything that you have, that you need to empty out your bank accounts and give it away, because the, the individual part only works a part of the community. But I want you to think about what it would look like. And just imagine what it would be like if Christians really lived this way. What if we really lived with the, I'm just going to devote everything I have to the kingdom of God and trust that God is going to take care of me. And that as I take care of you today, then when I'm sick tomorrow, you're going to take care of me. What if, you know, we get glimpses of that every once in a while where we, you know, we'll step in and we'll care for each other and we'll provide meals and all of that. But what if we made that really the core of how we live? What would that be like? What kind of witness would that look like for the rest of the world if they saw us so concerned about caring for one another's needs, right? The, uh, if, we really, if we really live that way. So here's the bottom line. According to Jesus, what matters most is not how much we can gather, but do we trust the Father? What matters most is not how much we can gather, but do we trust our Father? And if we do, what does that look like? What would it look like if we really believed this? What would it look like if we really believed that God was our Heavenly Father who would provide for us on a daily basis what we need? What would it look like if we really devoted everything we had to serving the kingdom of God with our time and our resources and our energy, trusting that God would provide for us? What, what would change in my life? What would change in your life? What would change about the way that we do church and the way that we function together if we really took Jesus at his words and trusted that God was a heavenly father who loved us that much that we didn't need to be making decisions and storing things up based on fear and based on what if something might happen. So again, Jesus' teachings are sometimes very challenging. Uh, they were challenging to his own disciples. Uh, they, you know, his own disciples said, Jesus, that's hard. And he said, I know, but I'm with you and I'll help you through it. So uh, I'm not going to wrap all of this up in a nice, neat answer. I want you to wrestle with this over the next couple of weeks to really ask yourself, 
What would it look like if I really trusted God as a heavenly father to provide for me? Well, if I really trusted God as much as, you know, um, a, a young child trusts their parent who provides for them? What matters most is not how much we can gather, but do we trust our father? And what does that look like? Let's pray. Father, we pause as we take note of the fact that you are our Father. You have said that we can call you Father, that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth, the almighty, all-powerful God, and yet you have chosen to relate to us as a loving, heavenly Father. And Father, we know that that's a big deal, that you're not some angry, distant deity that we need to work to pacify, that maybe we can just buy your favor for a month or a season, but that you want the best for us and that you have promised to provide for us. Father, as we look at these teachings of Jesus, it may challenge us with our Western individualistic sensibilities and the culture that we live in where we're taught by everything around us to provide for ourselves first and then give away just whatever leftovers we may have, or you call us to radical trust, radical faith in you. Father, help us to grow that faith. Help us to learn to trust you. Help us to become even more generous. Help us to learn to give it away, to guard against greed. Father, help us to be on guard against greed in our lives. Help us to be aware of areas in our life where we may start to feel entitled to things that we don't need. Father, help us to give, knowing that that giving breaks the grip that greed has on our life. Help us to trust you more and more each day. Help us to really acknowledge that you are present with us, that you will provide for us, God. We know you provide for the birds. We know you provide for the flowers. Help us to really trust that you'll provide for us. Help us to acknowledge any fear that we may have about the future. Help us to lean into one another. Give us your eyes for ourselves, your eyes for each other, your eyes for our community. Help us, God, more and more to seek your kingdom more than we seek anything else. Help us to make our treasure in heaven and not in our bank account or in our basement or anywhere else. Father, we love you and we thank you and we just ask you to strengthen us and empower us for what you've called us to do. Help us to really remember that you are our loving Heavenly Father, that you will care and provide for us. In Jesus' name.